Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Man, what an awesome time to worship together. Thank you guys. And uh, it's just good to be together today. And We'll just forget about football Saturday, right? We're just going to forget about all of that. <laughs> I do want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart um, for the just the beautiful 20th anniversary celebration that you gave to Amy and I and the, just the generous, generous love offering that you gave to us. And it speaks so much to us more than the, more than the, the gift is the heart behind the gift. You know, when you've been leading and preaching and teaching in a, in a church for 20 years, you have to make decisions. You don't know who's upset by it. You don't know, you know, uh, how people feel. And then, so that came at a really important time for us. And so thank you very much. Um, kind of makes me, I don't want to talk too much, um, but we really love y'all. Thank you for 20 years of letting us be in this great family. And, uh, you know, we decided we're going to stay 20 more. So <laughs> I think we'll have to. I, I, do, I do serve a boss that's notoriously unpredictable, though, so I don't see him wheeling me out in a wheelchair 20 years from now. Um, so let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and this place. And um, thank you for the broken hearts that are here today. Um, thank you for the joy that's here today. Uh, thank you for the people that are here today that need to know if you're real and that you're alive and they, they're seeking you. And I pray everybody that's here today would get what they need from this place as we hide in your cross. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I know that emotions are running high over all of this COVID stuff, all this going on in our world, you know, you got the quarantine, the vaccine, you got masks, you got people uh, getting kind of jiggy and a little bit violent, and some people getting a little irritated and agitated, but New Zealand has taken it to a whole nother level. Did y'all see the story this past week? Some dudes got arrested for trying to bring Kentucky Fried Chicken into Auckland. True story. I, I picked it up. Uh, it's it's like a it's like a Smokey and the Bandits, only it's with Kentucky Fried Chicken. But uh, the story read: Two men have been arrested in New Zealand for allegedly attempting to bring a large amount of illicit Kentucky Fried Chicken into Auckland, where a lockdown has forced all fast food outlets to shut their doors. According to the Guardian, the men were attempting to speed away with a trunk full of chicken and coleslaw when they were pulled over by police. I can't hardly read this without laughing. Cops said they found at least three buckets of chicken, 10 tubs of coleslaw, and a big stash of fries on the side in the trunk of their car. And I thought, come on, COVID, banning KFC, that's messed up. Um, but we live in this age where, where tensions run high and conflict is the norm. And uh you know, it reminds me of a line out of an old Don Henley song, how can love survive in such a graceless age? And this really is a graceless, tactless, feckless age. And we can either be part of it or we can be the contrast to it. Uh, let me tell you where Jesus wants us to land. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12. And let me remind you of verse 2. So Romans 12, let's look at verse 2 again. Because this is, the, this is our response to what's going on in our world. Do not be conformed. 
Don't be pressed into their mold to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may, here it is, prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Our calling is to demonstrate the will of God to this generation. And the only way we can do that is not by becoming graceless like this generation, but to live a life that is grace-filled, to, to be people of grace who live grace. And everything that follows in Romans 12 is tied to that. The rest of Romans 12 is about living a graceful life and, and being graceful people. Um, he, he started talking about this by, by referring il illustratively to the spiritual gifts, and we unpacked that the last couple of weeks. But the point of that wasn't so much to delve into the spiritual gifts as it was to remind us of the intrinsic value of every person, that every one of us is gifted in some way. Every one of you is better than me in some way. And we're not to think so highly of ourselves. At the same time, we don't think lowly of others because they're not exactly like us or they don't share our, our uh, opinion. They don't necessarily have our gifts. That's, that's by design so that each of us is unique and e each of us is incomplete. And the point of that is so that we would understand the power of grace and we live with grace. And, and so that's essentially what Paul is saying. And so following that, he offers one of these densely packed set of character traits. It's like Paul was saying, okay, I don't have time to explain all this, but here's some really important stuff I want you guys to chew on. And so he kind of backs up the truck and dumps the load. And this morning... We're going to walk through that for, for a few verses, okay? So we're picking it up in verse 9. And the first thing that he says, <clears throat> grace is authentic. Grace is authentic. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Unhypocritical. That's the actual word in the Greek. It means the opposite of the hypocrite. And you know that in the ancient Greek theater, uh, the hypocrite was the person who acted out a part on the stage and they were known to wear the mask. So they would have the mask on. That's a hypocrite. It's one who wears a mask. And Paul is saying to us, as we live our lives, put down the mask. Don't wear the mask. In other words, be authentic. Don't act like everybody else and don't live in such a way to try to impress other people. And I'm going to tell you, that's hard, isn't it, sometimes? Because all of us want other people to think well of us. And if you knew the real me, maybe you wouldn't think so highly of me. Reminds me of this story of this major who was new on the base and he was getting his office unpacked. And this private knocks on the door and the major looks up and he motions him in and picks up the phone real quick. And as the private walks in, he holds his finger up and just a minute. He says, yes, General Schwarzkopf, yes. Yes, I think that's a brilliant idea, General, yeah. No, no problem. Feel free to call me anytime. Tell Miss Schwarzkopf I said hello. Yes, anytime you need me, you have my number. And he hangs up the phone, looks at the private and says, what do you need, private? And he s says in embarrassment, uh, sir, I, I'm just here to hook up the phone. <laughs> that's a hypocrite. That's somebody that's pretending to be something that they're not. And that's what we're called away from. You say, well, I mean, how do we get it? Because we all struggle, right? No, nobody's perfect. So what is the difference between me struggling with my sin? Because, you know, it's in me. It's in the hypocrite. What's the difference uh, between them and me? And I think the answer to that is this. The difference is in the struggle. 
People who are authentic struggle with sin. Hypocrites struggle with appearances, and that's the difference. The hypocrite cares what you think about them. The authentic follower of Christ cares what Christ thinks about them. And so my struggle is to be pleasing to Christ, and to do that, I have to be honest about who I am. And and so at times it's not going to matter what you think about me, and I have to be willing to risk you thinking ill of me in order for me to deal honestly with who I am so that God will think right of me. And so if I'm going to live this life of grace, then it can't be lived in pretense. I can't... I can't live my Facebook self. I can't live my Instagram self. I've got to live the real me. And so it's not about appearances. And so grace is honest and authentic. Second thing he says is grace is truthful. He says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And we see this beautiful balance of truth here. Hate evil, love good. And this is sometimes hard to manage because sometimes in our, in our hurry to appear gracious, we will gloss over sin because we want you to be comfortable and we want you to feel loved. And so we're going to ignore that junk in your life so that you'll feel tolerated. The other side of that is sometimes in our hurry to hate sin, we run over people. And we have to find the equilibrium there. We have to walk this beautiful balance. We abhor what is evil. We hate evil but we cling to what is good. You say, what is evil? Well, evil is sin. And sin is the thing that destroys people's lives. And I say this all the time. The problem with people today is not politics. The problem isn't pandemic. The problem isn't, uh, you name it, poverty. The problem isn't this or that or bad self-esteem. or anything. The problem we have is sin. And until we deal with the core issue of sin, we're never going to get better. So if I don't hate sin, then I'm not helping you. If I gloss over your sin and pretend it's not there, I'm not helping you because sin is the very, it'd be like a, it'd be like a, 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 a cancer doctor saying, you know, let's just ignore this cancer. Let's just act like it's not there. When in fact, sin is the thing that messes up lives and relationships. But the good that we're to cling to is it really, for me, it's two things. It's what God said and what God did. What God said and what God made. All the things that God said, all the things in His Word, your Word is truth, your Word is light, your Word is life. In Him was light, and the light was the life of men, right? And so that is the good that I hold to. But it's not just the truth that God reveals to us, but it's the thing that God made, which is all of His creation. Every time He made something, what did He say about it? This is good. He made this, is good. He made that, it's good. He made that, it's good. He made man. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. But he said, man is good. He's, he's created in my image. Let's make man. Let's make him in his That's good. And so at the core, at the end of the day, we have to continually love people. And we cling to that. You know where that word cling means? It means to glue together. It's an interesting word. Paul uses it in Ephesians 5.31 in reference to marriage. He says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother. He's, he's uh, quoting that seminal passage in Genesis 2.24. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave or cling 
to his wife. And that word cling there means to glue together. It's as if you take a piece of paper and you cut out a paper doll and you call it Bill and you cut out another one and you call it Amy and then you smear it over with Elmer's glue and you bond those two together. And once they become bonded, they become amalgamated. It's not so much like super glue on a piece of steel that you might break it apart and scrape it off. This is where I can't tear one apart without badly damaging the other. He says that same commitment, that lifelong marriage style commitment is the commitment that we make to truth and to things that are good. But it's not just the truth that's good, it's the people as well. And so we, we value those things that God values and we hate those things that He hates. There's a statement churches used to say all the time, hate sin, love the sinner. Remember that? And I know the non-believing world hates that because they can't differentiate who they are from what they do. It's like, you say that, but what I do is who I am, so you're really hating me. No, we're not. And the Bible is very clear on this. God loves people, but He hates sin. And there's no better definition of this than the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, He went to the cross. Why? Because He loved people and hated sin. He died for sin even while, while we were yet sinful. That is, while our behavior was filled with sin, Christ died for us. So that says He hates sin, but He loves people. That's where we find that balance. And that's where we land. And, and you know, we've got to love people the way Jesus loved them. And sometimes that's hard because i got to say this. I suspect a lot of Christians are better at hating evil than loving good. In fact, too often the church is known for what it's against instead of what it's for. And and I get it. I think part of the, the tension is we think that if we accept people, then we are approving of their behavior. And it's hard for us to kind of work that out, the difference between acceptance and approval. Look, accepting, there's a difference between accepting and approving. Jesus accepted everyone. I mean, didn't He eat with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors? In fact, He kind of got a bad reputation because of the reputation of the people that He hung out with. He accepted all those people, but He didn't approve of what they did. I mean, He ate with tax collectors, but He never went and collected taxes. He didn't do what they did. He loved them, but He loved them too much to leave them as they were. Paul's a great example of this. Let's go back to Romans 9, verse 2, and let let me remind you of Paul's heart. Paul's talking about the Jews. He says, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. For my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed. Wait a second cut off from Christ if that would save them. Paul says, I love the Jewish people so much that I would give up my place in heaven if they would come to faith in Christ. If that would help, you can have my seat in heaven. That's an an amazing love. He's saying, I love them more than my life. I love them more than my eternal life. But now, put your finger there and let's turn over uh, for a quick resume that Paul sent to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11 I mean, 2.11, verse 24. He says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. You know what that is? That's called scourging. The Romans had a short whip they called a flagrum, and it had strips of leather that went out from it. And at the end of each strip of leather, there were some little bones or pieces of metal. And they would start at the bottom of the ankle, and they would work their way up to the very top of your body. And if they still had licks left, they would go back down. 
39. Because the premise was, if you were hit 40 times, you would die. Paul said, that happened to me five times. I don't know about you, but the first time I got scourged, it would be pretty bad. But can you imagine the fifth time? I mean, you know what's coming. You know what it's going to feel like. You know what you're going to go through. But watch this. Look what it says. Who did that to him? From the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. You know, stoning was a capital punishment. That's like saying once I was sent to the electric chair. I got better. You know, <laughs> what? You got, wait, wait, what? You, you got stoned and you're still alive? Who stoned him? The Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. I, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I've spent in the deep. Look, that same guy that was beaten within an inch of his life by the Jews still loved the Jews enough that he was willing to give up his seat in heaven for them. That's what I'm talking about. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. You hate what they do. Paul never said, man, I love what these guys are doing. He didn't say that. He said, I love them intrinsically in their worth. And that's at the very point of the cross. That's how Jesus loves you. He hates what sin's doing to your life. And we don't minimize that. We have to hate that too. You know, I hate, I hate junk that ruins people's lives. I hate affairs because I see what it does to people's lives and their marriages and their kids and everything. I hate that stuff. There's nothing glamorous about that. But at the same time, we cling to what is good. We love those things that God said and those things that God made. And so it becomes a, a, a point of tension to hold on to truthfulness. Grace never stops telling the truth. And then grace is sacrificial. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Here's the hard part. Give preference to one another in honor. Okay, circle that part. Give preference to one another in honor. You know, I grew up in Texas where everything's bigger and better, right? <laughs> not, a, not if you're not from Texas, but if you're from Texas, that's how you think. One of the questions the search committee asked me 20 years ago when they were talking to me, they said, do Texans look down on Louisiana? And I said, well, you got to understand, Texans look down on everybody. So, you know, you're just part of it. And they said, that's okay. We look down on Mississippi. <laughs> Thank God for Mississippi, huh? If you're from Mississippi, don't send me an email. I'm just, it's just a joke. It's just a joke, okay? But one of the things that, that was difficult to get accustomed to is Texans drive very differently from Louisiana. And, and I love everything about Louisiana, and I love, I, I love my swamp, okay? This is my swamp. I love it. But some of y'all can't drive. I'm just saying. Some of y'all just can't drive. I don't know what's going on, but the thing that really gets to me is you're cruising down the road 45 miles an hour, and somebody looks up, and they pull out in front of you. That's, it's the pull out in front of you guys that just eat me alive. And they'll pull out in front of you going 20. It's like, dude, there's nobody behind me. If you would have waited two seconds, I'd have passed you, and you can pull out, you can drive in reverse if you want. I don't care how you drive after that, because I'm already in front of you. So I'm dealing with Romans 12, right? Because before I can talk to you, i got to let it talk to me. And I'm dealing with Romans 12. Give preference to one another in honor. Give preference. And I'm driving down the road, and I'm kind of in a hurry. I'm going 35. A guy pulls out in front of me going 20. I'm like, whoa, 
Mm, give preference to one another in honor. Give preference. I'm going to give him preference. You go ahead and go, dude. And, and we drive a little bit, and I'm like, God, help me to deal with this. And he turns off, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. God has taught me the lesson. I gave preference to one another in honor. God bless me. Two seconds later, here comes a truck, does the same thing. I'm slowing down. And this guy's all over the road. He's clearly a distracted driver. And I'm like, give preference to one another in honor. Give preference to one another in honor. And we come to this spot, and it's, one, it's, a, it's a, a left turn, and there's two lanes that turn left. And I'm in the left lane. The guys on the right are turning left too. And the light is red, and we're waiting. And the guy in front of me that had pulled out in front of me, he's waiting too. And the light turns green, and he doesn't move. I'm like, give preference to one another in honor. Give preference to one another in honor. Come on, dude, go. Let's go. Come on. Preference in honor. Go. Come on, go. The four cars to our right, they go. This guy doesn't even get them out of his peripheral. They go. They're moving. Everybody's moving. I'm like, we're still staying here. I'm going to have to sit through this light twice. So I give him a little tap on the horn. Not a big, eh, you know, but a, just a, hey, man, look up. Light's gr- green now. It's not going to get any greener. Uh, look up. He doesn't look up. And we sit there, and the light turns yellow. And I'm like, give preference to one another in honor. The light turns yellow. I'm like, forget this. And I go around him, and and I look over, and he's looking down at his phone. And I'm like, hang up and drive. I did not give preference to him in honor. I'm sorry to say. But you know, I should have. I wasn't in that big of a hurry. It wouldn't have hurt me at all to sit through that light ten times and let that guy read his phone. I mean, if I'm going to walk in grace, I got to be different than everybody around me. And every, I did what everybody else does. I did what you do. Yeah, don't be, don't be looking at me. I know what you do. You've done it too. And it's not just driving I'm talking about. It's living. In every phase of life, give preference to one another in honor. That means be sacrificial. Others first. That's what grace does. That is not what this world does. And then grace is diligent, not lagging behind in diligence. Do you see that? And that's a hard word to translate. It means giving your best. I would call it excellence. Giving all you have. In other words, you work really hard at it. Let me just say this, okay, for this generation, and I love you guys, and I'm not a millennial hater. I love the millennials. I think you guys have more passion for hurting people and for missions than any generation that's come through. So I'm really great about that. But y'all need to work on your work ethic a little bit. Just saying, not scolding, not being a dad, but... And, and that's especially true of being a believer. Being gracious does not mean just chilling, gaming, talking, and hanging. That is not what it is to be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We have to work hard, and nothing good happens without a lot of really hard work. Really hard work. And whatever you do, do it with all your heart, as unto the Lord, the Bible says. And look, I had a dude tell me one time, he employs a lot of people, he said, you know what my biggest problem is? My worst workers are Christians. Man, that just kind of breaks my heart. We work hard, we're diligent, we work hard at the things of Christ, and we stay passionate. Look at this, fervent in spirit, passionate, zaeo. 
It's a form of the word for life. It means you stay passionate. Again, this is the balance to the common misconception of grace. I've got my Jesus and I'm just going to chill with Jesus, you know. Christianity isn't Rastafarianism. We're not smoking dope and hanging loose. There's an intensity to this thing. There's a fervency. I mean, John Knox was a man of grace and he lived that grace out. But he also said, give me Scotland or I die. Give me my workplace or I die. Give me Monroe or I die. Give me Northeast Louisiana or I die. Give me the United States or I die. I've got to live this thing with fervency. It's not some dull, drab meander through you know, ambivalence. Because in all of that, we seek to please God. Look, pleasing the Lord, that's our motivation. And so here's what it comes back to. I give grace so that the grace I give pleases the one that gave grace to me. I give grace so that the grace I give pleases the one that gave grace to me. Grace is tough-hearted, verse 12. Again, I told you this is densely packed stuff. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. I mean, life's no cakewalk. Sometimes there are deep disappointments. I've got fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone through deep, deep disappointments. And sometimes it's hard not to become disappointed with God. Um, And the hurts are real. And one of the struggles is, you know, I I know a lot of women uh, who struggle with fertility. And you talk about a horrible, horrible, difficult struggle. And the thing that really makes it worse is they look around at these women who, you know, they walk by some guy and they get pregnant. You know, I mean, they're they're like a baby-making machine and they just popping out babies and leaving them. They don't even care about them. And this girl, this girl would give anything to have one of those. And it's hard for her because sometimes you look at this rat race and it feels like the rats are winning. And, it's, and in that moment of struggle, what do we do? Well, look what he says. Keep on hoping. Rejoicing in hope. This is one of the great challenges. We don't rejoice in where we are. We don't rejoice necessarily in the bad that's happening, but we rejoice in what God's going to do through it. When, when Paul said rejoice in, every, in everything, uh, give praise, he's not talking about for everything. He says in everything because my hope is in Christ. And I know that no matter how bad this is, God's going to work it for my good and for the good of those who love God. And he's going to work it for his purposes. And because of that, we keep persevering. Look at verse 12 again. Persevering in tribulation. And that word persevere is beautiful. It's hupa, which means under, and meno, which means to abide. It literally meant to pitch your tent. So it means to abide under. And so a person who's persevering is literally a person who is carrying the load and they can stay under the load. And I would say this, I think the difference between immaturity and maturity is your ability to stay under the load. Immature people cannot carry a load. But the stronger you become in faith and in Christ, the stronger and the heavier load you are able to carry. And that's what we're called to. And keep praying, devoted to prayer. Never stop praying. And by doing that, we become resilient. Grace is resilient. The world's not resilient. The world has something bad happening. It's somebody else's fault. Why is this happening to me? It must be him or her or that or this. We're not like that. Be different. Don't be conformed to this world. They're graceless. Grace has staying power. And grace is open-hearted. Contributing to the needs of the saints 
practicing hospitality. We keep giving. The word contributing means to share. And, and to me, this is a profound and powerful difference from what the, the world's take is, get all you can, can all you can, and sit on your can. That's the world. And so I'm trying to acquire and protect. And if i got to step on you to get what I want, then that's what I'm going to do. The Bible's very different. It says, give yourself away and you'll find life. Jesus said, whoever wants to find his life, what does he got to do? What's he do? Lose it. Lose it. The world doesn't understand that. We used to do this, uh, this uh, camp in the Ukraine, Camp Friendship. And so every year our team would go over to Ukraine and we had different teams going through the year sometimes and, and we'd maintain this camp. About 300 Ukrainian kids, many of them, most of them orphans in the early days, would come in and they'd have these giant orphanages and these orphans were just throwaway kids and they'd come to this camp and it was kind of a magical week for them. But the Ukrainians struggled with why we were there. I remember I had this, every one of us that was involved in the ministry in the camp would have our own interpreter who would go with us everywhere so we could talk to the kids. And I had this interpreter who was actually, a, she, she was a PhD and, and taught languages at the university. And so one day I asked her, I said, what do the Ukrainians think of us? And she said, they don't really trust y'all. And I said, why don't they trust us? And she said, they can't figure out why you're here. I said, well, we're here for Jesus. She said, I know that, but they can't understand it. They're like, why would you come all this way and spend all this money on these throwaway kids? I even had one old Soviet lady tell me one time, they're a bad seed. If you help them, they'll just cause trouble later. Don't help them. That was the Soviet mindset, 70 years of Soviet teaching in that nation. And they just can't understand why we would come and bring all that resources and all that money and invest it on these throwaway kids. They thought we were probably trying to set up some sort of trafficking thing. And they couldn't get past that because that's the way they think. Because the idea of generosity is so foreign to them in their thinking. Now this, this interpreter, she understood it and she got it. And I've got to tell you, I think it was understanding the generosity that made a deeper impact on her life than the sermons and songs that we did for that week that we were there. All the teaching that we did had no impact on her to the degree, because she had grown up in the Pravoslavic church. It was really kind of a, a perfunctory worship religion kind of thing. And, and she was seeing real meaning in authentic faith, but it was mostly due to the generosity. And that's something that people just can't understand. We... We contribute to the needs of the saints and we stay hospitable. Look at this, practicing hospitality. And that word practicing is a tough word to translate because it has at its core the idea of running or chasing. Chasing is really a better idea. Hospitality, which is uh, philozenios. And zenios is, is the concept of a stranger or foreigner. The idea is that I open my life to the needs, I contribute to the needs of the saints, but I, I'm hospitable to the foreigner. This isn't hospitality like having a big Thanksgiving thing at your house and all the family comes in and, oh, look how hospitable grandma is. It's not a like I'm going to have the women's ministry at my house and we're going to have all the women come over. It, that's hospitality. This is to a different level. It's to strangers. We're back to Matthew 25. Remember? He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Here it is. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Hospitality is to use the assets we have to express love to people that we might not even know. 
And by doing that, we live out grace. Here it is. The principle of grace is fairly simple. We give what we've been given. By grace we are saved, so now we live by grace. And that is such a distinction from the world. I met a man, he was here in our church several years ago, named, they call him Daddy Dave. That's, he's an older guy, Daddy Dave. He actually grew up in Monroe, and he, I met him in, at First Baptist Church of Groves, Texas, where I was the youth minister many years ago, and I was on staff there. Kenneth was on, one of my kids in my youth group, believe it or not. And so we have a connection with First Groves, and it's one of those weird small world stories. Daddy Dave grew up, well, he was born in Monroe, and uh, this was 1942. He was two years old. His sister was nine. His brother was 10. The family split up. The mom abandoned them. So the extended family, everybody's living in, you know, post-depression, World War II. They don't have time for these three kids. So the extended family takes a, a piece of paper and pins it to the shirt of, of these kids with an address on it in Port Arthur, Texas, which was the last place they had heard that the mama had gone. And they put these three kids on a bus by themselves, a two-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a ten-year-old, for Port Arthur, Texas. Daddy Dave said when the bus arrived in Port Arthur, Texas, it was already dark, but a, a kind taxi driver took them to the address that was pinned to their shirt. And they knocked on the door, nobody came to the door, so they left these three kids on the doorstep. Daddy Dave said, I was left on the doorstep. I was two, my sister was nine, my brother was ten. And we slept that first night on the doorstep. The next morning he said, I was crying and I woke the people up inside because I had a soiled diaper. And when they woke up, they realized what was going on. The mother didn't live there, but after a few days they finally found the mother and they moved these kids to the mom. And Daddy Dave said, I grew up roughly in and out of mom's house but mostly on the streets of Port Arthur. He said two years went by, and the pastor at First Baptist Port Arthur finally took control of the situation, and he took me and my brother and sister to Buckner Children's Home in Texas. It's the equivalent of Louisiana Children's Home in Texas. And he said, I grew up in Buckner Children's Home, and it changed my life. And Daddy Dave grew up. He got a degree in engineering, went off to be an engineer at a plant and all that, but his whole life was, was spent on trying to find a way to say thank you to Buckner Children's Home for saving his life. And so he would uh, travel around Texas and give talks to raise money for Buckner's Children's Home. And, and routinely, he would go to Buckner's Children's Home, and whenever he would, he would bring toys and gifts and candy and stuff like that to pass out to all the kids. And that's why they started calling him Daddy Dave. Daddy Dave. And here's what he realized. Grace isn't given, grace is invested. And the grace we received is the grace we live. That's our calling. That's your calling. That's my calling. You saved by grace, then live it. And here it is. Here's what it means to live it grace is authentic, it's not hypocritical cares more about what God thinks than what people think. Is that you? I mean, let's get real. Is that you? Grace is truthful. It abhors evil and clings to good. It hates the sin but loves the sinner. Where are you landing on that? It's sacrificial. Give preference to one another in honor, even when you're driving. It's diligent. Works hard. 
stays fervent. It's tough-hearted. It'll stay under the load. And it's open-hearted. Contributes to the needs of the saints and shows hospitality. Okay, that's what grace is. Can I ask you something? Is that what you are? And if it's not, what are you going to do about it? There's our commitment. Here's our commitment. Father, this week I'm going to be living grace. I'm going to be living grace. Would you do that? That's, that's my commitment. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm in process. Some days are better than others, but every day I, I do it, I'm better than the day before. You want to do that with me? This world is all messed up. It's graceless. And we can either become just like it or we can be the contrast to it. What are you going to be? It's in the commitments we make. So let's make a commitment. Every head bowed. And let's, here's our commitment to God. God, I'm going to be living grace. Can you just say that? Father, this week, this month, this year, I'm going to be living grace. I'm going to be these things that we talked about. I'm going to be authentic and truthful and sacrificial and diligent, tough-hearted and open-hearted. And God, these things that Paul says are to be in us are going to be in me. I commit to you my life to that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the challenge to be all that Jesus calls us to. Use this commitment we've made and don't let us forget it. And Father, I pray for those who came today who need Jesus. They came with a hurting heart. They need healing. They need forgiveness. They need cleansing. Help them to know how much you love them and how much you hate sin. And I pray in this moment they would feel about their sin the same way you do. And they would take that same sin to the cross that you, that you sent your son to the cross to die for. And they just lay it on you. Best they know how. God, here's the prayer. If you don't know Jesus, God, I give my heart to you right now in this place. Change me. Father, we thank you for transformation that comes in Christ alone. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.